Let's take our Bibles and go to 1 Kings chapter 18, if you will, tonight. 1 Kings and chapter 18. Thank you for being in your place. And uh, the Lord blesses those that are faithful. The faithful man shall abound with blessing, Proverbs 28, 20 says. And I'm glad that you're in store for some blessings as a result of being faithful. 1 Kings chapter 18 opens with a problem. The nation of Israel has not seen it rain for three and a half years. In fact, there hasn't even been dew on the ground for three and a half years. A horrible drought. In fact, they're about to lose all the beasts. They're about to lose all the animals. And all of this problem is a result of bad leadership. The king is a man by the name of Ahab. His wife's name was Jezebel. Ahab and Jezebel. You know, I've been a lot of places. I've never met anybody named Ahab. Met a horse named Ahab one time, but I've never met a person named Ahab. I've never met a lady named Jezebel. It's interesting, those names are never chosen to use when people name their children. In fact, I've looked in baby name books, and those names do not even appear as an option. You know why? Because the Bible is right. In Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 7, the memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. These were wicked people. Their names literally rot on the pages of history. We could say much about Ahab and Jezebel, but God said it pretty succinctly in 1 Kings 21, verse 25, when he said there was none like unto Ahab which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. So God said there was nobody any more wicked than this man, King Ahab, and the person who stirred it up in his life was his wife Jezebel. Wicked people. And they had led the nation of Israel, God's people, away from the true God into all kinds of idolatrous worship, particularly the worship of Baal. Well, as the chapter opens, Ahab is concerned that they're about to lose the cattle. They're about to lose the beasts because they have no water. So he says to Obadiah, who's the governor of his house, according to verse 3, and the Bible says that Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. In verse 12, it says, he feared the Lord from his youth. So here was a man, Obadiah, who feared the Lord. He had been raised around God and the teaching about God. But during a crisis, we find him second in command to the most wicked king that's ever lived. Sometimes crisis reveals what we really are. And King Ahab says to Obadiah, we've got to find some water. So they divided the land between them, and Obadiah went one way by himself, and Ahab went another way by himself. And as Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him. Now they thought Elijah was dead. In fact, this chapter tells us that King Ahab had taken an oath. He had told the people in Israel that this prophet of God, Elijah, was dead. They haven't seen him for three and a half years. Now, we know where he was because we can go back in the Bible and we can see the history here. Uh, Elijah was taken up by the brook Cherith for a time, and God uh, allowed him to drink the water from the brook, and the ravens came twice a day and brought him his food. Then when that brook dried up, God sent him down to the widow's house, and God sustained the prophet through the widow for the duration of that, that famine. But they haven't seen him, so they think he's dead. 
And all of a sudden, here's Elijah standing there in front of Obadiah, and Obadiah's not sure what he's seeing. He thinks he's seeing a ghost. He thinks he's seeing a spirit. So he says, art thou that my Lord Elijah? And Elijah says, yep, it's me. Go tell your boss I'm alive and I want to see him. Obadiah says, I, 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 I can't do that. If I go tell uh, King Ahab that you're alive, he's going to want to see you. And when he comes out here to see you, you, the Spirit of God might take you whither I know not. And when he comes out here and can't find you, he's going to kill me. See, whenever you're living a double life, you're always afraid you're going to get caught. And Obadiah just got caught. Well, I just says, fine, I'll go see him by myself. So now, by the time we get to verse 17 or so, we find uh, Elijah walking into the oval office, if you please, of King Ahab. And when King Ahab sees the prophet of God, he says, you're the one that's troubling Israel. You're the reason we have this drought. You're the problem. And Elijah says, no, I'm not the problem. You are. You have forgotten God, you've forsaken his commandments, and that's why the judgment has fallen. And Ahab says, no, you're the problem. And Elijah says, no, you're the problem. And they begin to discuss the matter. And finally, Elijah says, tell you what, let's have a contest. Let's go up to the top of Mount Carmel. Now, Carmel was a place where people would go and offer sacrifices to their gods. And there were a number of altars up there that different groups had, had built to, to offer these sacrifices to the various gods. And so it was kind of a neutral site, if you please. And Elijah said, let's go up there. You bring your prophets of Baal. You bring your prophets of the groves. And you bring them up there. And I'll go up there. And we'll build an altar. We'll, we'll put uh, some wood on it. We'll cut up a bullock. We'll put a, a bullock on the wood. And, and, but we'll put no fire under. And then we'll pray. And whosoever God answers by fire will be declared the true God. Well, Apparently Ahab has a little competitive spirit in him. He says, you got a deal. So now word goes out. There's going to be this Super Bowl of gods. I mean, they're going to find out who the true God is. And so word gets out. And boy, the day finally arrives. And I can just kind of picture this. As all these false prophets, there were 450 prophets of Baal. There were 400 prophets of the groves. So there's 850 false prophets marching their way up to the top of Mount Carmel. I'm sure they're pretty haughty. I mean, there's more of them. They're, they're the dominant religion of the day. And, and, and they're kind of walking with their heads held high. They know they're going to win. They're going to they're win this battle. And so they're making their way to the top of Carmel. I can see King Ahab and Jezebel. Perhaps they're being carried by their entourage up to the top of the, the mountain and all the glitz and glamour of the kingdom surrounds them. And then I can see the people. Word had gone out that there was going to be this contest. And so the people, they, they wanted to see this. And so they began to, to go up to the top of Carmel. And then there's Elijah. I kind of picture him walking by himself. This man that they described as a hairy man, a peculiar man. I kind of see him walking alone, perhaps in a, an attitude, perhaps of prayer or thinking, meditation. They get to the top of Carmel and, 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 and Elijah says, uh, you guys go first. There's more of you, so you go first. So the prophets of Baal, they built their altar and they put some wood on the altar and they took a bullock and they cut it in four pieces and they placed it on the wood and then they began to pray. And they prayed to Baal. 
And they said, oh, Baal, hear us. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. But nothing was happening. And Elijah's over here mocking them. He's saying, uh, well, maybe your God is asleep. Pray a little louder. And they prayed. And he said, maybe your God is on vacation. Uh, give him time to come back. And they prayed and they prayed. In fact, they got so desperate, the Bible says they took knives and lancets and began to cut themselves. And the Bible says that blood gushed out on the altar. <laughs> Cutting is not new. These men prayed for seven hours and nothing happens. Because God is, Baal God is a God, but he's, he's a little G God. He has ears, but he can't hear. He has eyes, but he can't see. And so nothing happens. So finally, about the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah says, all right, it's my turn. You've had your chance. It's my turn. Now, what do you do when it's your turn? What do you do when you need God to answer a prayer? What do you do when you need a miracle? By the way, it is our turn. This is our generation. This is our time. Others have lived and had a chance at, at, at God working in lives, but now it's our turn. What do you do? Well, let's see what Elijah does. Let's pick up the story in verse 29 of 1 Kings chapter 18. And it came to pass when midday was past, and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. The first step that Elijah takes when it's his turn is he fixes the broken. He repairs the altar of the Lord. As I said a moment ago, Carmel was a place where people would go and they would offer sacrifices to their gods. And the, the nation of Israel had been up there. They had offered gods, but, or offered sacrifices to the true God. But you see, their altar was all broken down. Nobody's been up there for three and a half years. And so their altar was, was tumbled over. The stones, no doubt, were tumbled over. And so the first thing that Elijah does is he fixes the broken. Can I say tonight that God's fire cannot fall upon broken altars? Is anything broken in your life tonight? How is our relationship with God? Did you talk to him today? Have you allowed him to talk to you? Not much of a relationship if we're not on speaking terms. How's our relationship with God? Are there things that are broken? Is there sin in our life that needs to be confessed? Are there steps of obedience that we have not taken? Is there some area we have not surrendered? How is our relationship vertically tonight with God? How is our relationship horizontally with people? Is there anything broken between you and your spouse? Anything broken between parents and children or children and parents? 
Is anything broken with people in the church? Uh, How is our relationship? How is our walk with God today? If we want God's power, if we want God to, to answer prayer, we want God to give us a miracle, we've got to fix the broken. If iniquity be in thine hand, put it far from thee. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord for he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. We've got to fix the broken. You see, in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver but also of wood and of earth. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. Over the years, my wife and I, we've had some pets. Uh, we don't have a pet presently. I guess our lives are a little too complex for that. When we first got married, we had a gerbil. I, I don't know if that qualifies as a pet or not. It was kind of a glorified rat that would get on a, on a, on a wheel and run around a little bit. And, and we had that gerbil for a while. Over the years, as our kids came along, we had some dogs and cats and fish and, you know, the normal deal. And, and uh, I suppose of all the pets we've had, we, we've had more dogs than any other, any animal in our house. And, and I guess I, I'd have to think back and count them up. I think we've had five or six, maybe seven dogs over the years of marriage. And I like dogs. I, I wouldn't mind having a dog now. Uh, uh, I, I really enjoy a dog. My son-in-law, he has two dogs, and, and uh, my son has a dog. My, well, both my sons have a dog, and, and uh, I think there's one in our family that doesn't have a pet. But, but I like animals. I like dogs. But you know, in all those years that we had a dog, I was never tempted, not even in the littlest bit, I was never tempted one time to ever drink out of the dog dish. Now, where I live, it gets really hot. I mean, in the summertime, it gets into triple digits, and it gets hot, and we're in the high desert. We're about 2,600 feet above sea level, so it's a very dry heat, and, and you can lose your fluids very quickly and easily without even knowing it because the perspiration just kind of evaporates off your skin, and so you don't realize you're becoming dehydrated, but if you're outside for a, a time working or, 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 or exercising or something, you, you have to get some liquid back in your body, or you can become dehydrated and get very, very sick. And many times I'd be out in the backyard working or playing with the kids or something. I'd come in and I'd be extremely thirsty and I'd walk in the kitchen and right there by the kitchen sink was the dog dish. And it was a beauty. I mean, it was, it was a nice dog dish. Kind of a Carolina blue. Had two compartments, one for food, one for water. I mean, it was a nice dog dish. I bet we paid, oh man, I bet we paid two ninety five dollars for that thing at Walmart. It was a nice dog dish. And it always had water in it. And the easy thing to do would have just been to fall to my knees and lap water out of the dog dish. But I never was even tempted. No, no. I walked way past the dog dish. I mean two or three more steps all the way to the kitchen cupboard. I pulled out the drawer and I I took a glass, made sure it was clean. Walked all the way back past the dog dish to, to the refrigerator. I'd get some ice. I'd get some water. And I'd quench my thirst. Why? Because a dog dish is a vessel but it's a vessel of dishonor. Can I say kindly tonight, when God gets ready to send revival, he's not going to use dog dish Christians? God needs our lives to be clean. And so we must fix 
the broken. But notice, secondly, he fills the barrels. Amazing story. Look at it in verse number 31. And Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order, and cut the bullock in pieces, and laid him on the wood, and said, Fill four barrels with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, Do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, Do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran round about the altar, and he filled the trench also with water. Now, does this seem a little strange? I'm not an outdoorsman. I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not the type that goes camping and all those kinds of things. We lived in a trailer for a number of years, traveling around the country as an evangelist uh, with our family. And, and uh, so I, I've been down that road. But I, I'm not the kind of person who likes to just go out in the woods and, and eat tree bark and drink water out of cacti or something. I'm, I'm just not that kind of person. But I do know this. If you're out in the woods and you're trying to start a fire, you don't want wet wood. Now, the contest is to see who can call down fire to devour this sacrifice. But Elijah, before he prays, he says, fill four barrels with water. And so they did. They, they poured on this sacrifice. He said, do it a second time. They filled four more barrels, and they poured it on the sacrifice. He said, do it a third time. They filled four more barrels. Twelve barrels of water had been poured over this sacrifice. The thing is dripping with water, so much so that the trench around the altar is full of water. By the way, have you ever wondered, where did they get the water? It hasn't rained for three and a half years. The first part of the chapter says they don't have water to, to give to the animals. They're about to lose all the animals. So where'd they get the water? Well, the Bible doesn't say. Sorry. It's kind of like vacation Bible school. Come back tomorrow, boys and girls. We will find out how the missionaries do. Oh, tomorrow's Saturday. Sorry, go home. <laughs> Bye. The Bible doesn't tell us. So we're left to wonder about this. We're left to some opinion, I guess, or conjecture. And I've thought a lot about this. Now, some people would say the Mediterranean Sea. But I've been to Mount Carmel. That's a long walk. That's a very long walk. And it's already the time of the evening sacrifice. There wasn't time to go to the Mediterranean and back one time, much less three times. See, this story moves along very quickly. But Elijah didn't say fill 12 barrels of water. He said fill four. They filled four. They poured it on. He said, now do it again. They did it and they poured it on. He said, now do it a third time. They, there wasn't time to go to the Mediterranean once, much less three times. So the Mediterranean sees out. It's impossible. So where do they get this water? Well, I don't know, but I have an idea. These people that had come to watch, they would not have made this trip up to Mount Carmel without some drinking water. 
you wouldn't make that trip today without water. You wouldn't go up there on a four-wheeler today without water. It is a dry, arid, desert kind of a climate. And to make that trek up to that mountain would require some drinking water. As scarce as the water was, those people would not have dared to take a trip like that without some drinking water. I don't know if they had it in like a canteen or some kind of a, 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 a mechanism whereby many could drink out of one particular area of water. I don't know, but they would have had to have had some water. Now, I believe when Elijah says, fill four barrels with water, I know he's not talking to the false prophets because they're over there still bandaging their wounds. And he's sure not talking to Ahab and Jezebel. So when he says, fill four barrels with water, he's got to be talking to the people that had come. Now, remember, they have been up there for seven hours listening to their false prophets pray to their so-called God of Baal and have gotten nothing. So now Elijah says to them, fill four barrels with water. Take the water that you can see and give it to the God you cannot see and watch what he will do. By the way, water is not going to be a problem by the time they go home. It's going to rain so hard. They haven't seen it rain like it rained at the end of chapter 20, uh, at, at the end of chapter 18. That's a story we won't get to tonight. So water's not going to be a problem on the way home. So Elijah's saying, by faith, I want you to take this water. See, in verse 21, he says to them, how long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. And if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. They said, we're going to wait to see who wins first. And they realize now that Baal is not the true God. So Elijah's challenging them to, by faith now, trust the true God. And so they filled four barrels of their, of their drinking water, and they poured on. And Elijah says, some of you still have water. Pass those offering barrels again. And they filled four more. And he said, some of you are still holding out. You see, you've got to trust the Lord with all your heart. You can't lean to any of your own understanding. You've got to, in all your ways, acknowledge him before he'll direct your paths. So he says, fill four barrels more. And they fill those four barrels again, and they pour it on there. They fill the barrels. Can I ask you tonight to fill some barrels by faith? Remember we heard this morning, without faith, it's impossible to please him. In fact, Paul went so far as to say, He that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Boy, Romans 14, 23 says, If I'm doing anything in my life right now that's not of faith, it's sin. Can I challenge you to pray some prayers that only God can answer? Sometimes I think we pray prayers that if God doesn't come through, we can come through. we got plan B. Pray some prayers that only God can answer. Pray some impossible prayers. When, when Elisha told Elijah uh, uh, that he kept following him, and Elijah finally said, well, what do you want? He said, I want a double portion of your spirit. And Elijah said, you've asked a hard thing. But you know what? He got it. In fact, Elisha does twice as many miracles as Elijah because he asked in faith for a double portion. 
Pray some prayers that only God can answer. Fill some barrels tonight by faith. He fixes the broken. He fills the barrels. But then notice thirdly, he focuses beyond. Now look at verse number 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and he said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I've done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Now, just for the sake of review, back in verse, uh, go back to verse 17. He's walking into King Ahab's office. And it says, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he, Elijah, answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Here, in verse 17 and 18, boy, Elijah is focused on this wicked king. He's got his finger in his face, and he's saying, You're the problem. You've forsaken God. You've forgotten his commandments. I mean, Elijah is zeroed in. He's focused on this wicked king. Down in verse 21, I quoted it just a moment ago, he looks at all the people that have come to watch, and he says, how long halt you between two opinions? The Lord be God, follow him, and if Baal, then follow him. In other words, now he's focused on the crowd that is assembled. Down in verse number 27, it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them, the false prophets, and said, cry aloud, he's a God, either he's talking or he's pursuing or he's on a journey or preventually sleepeth and must be awake. Here he's focused on the false prophets. But now... Now in verse 36, when it's his turn, he's not thinking about the false prophets or King Ahab or the crowd. He lifts his voice heavenward. He focuses beyond. You know, too often I think we have our ear, as it were, to the ground. And we look at the culture around us and we're frustrated we're disappointed, we're discouraged. We look at churches today and so many don't even have church on Sunday night. They don't believe in revivals. They don't believe anything can happen and they just kind of have quit church. And we look at ourselves sometimes and we, we think, oh, I'm such a mess. I, I, I seem to mess up all the time. I fail, I, I sin, I try, I get back up, I do it again. And we look at ourselves, we get discouraged. You know what, can I tell you tonight? Set your affection on things above, not on the things of the earth. Too often we're focused on a wicked king or we're focused on a crowd that doesn't care anymore about God or church. We, we look at a religion of our day and we wonder what in the world is happening. God says, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. We've got to focus beyond ourselves, beyond what we see in the culture, beyond what we see in churches. We've got to look to God. Focus beyond. And then I see finally tonight, he follows boldly. Look at verse number 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Wow, this was quite a fire. 
When this fire fell, the Bible says it not only devoured the sacrifice. I mean, that was the contest to see whose God could come down with fire and devour the sacrifice. This fire that fell after Elijah prayed not only consumed the sacrifice, it burnt the wood, it burnt the rocks that made up the altar. I've seen fire do some devastating things. I've never seen fire burn a rock. This one did. It licked up the water, it licked up the dust. I mean, I don't know if anybody was peeking during the prayer. But when they looked up, there's nothing there. Where that altar once stood, there's nothing there. So what was the response? Well, verse 39, uh, 39, And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. Boy, wouldn't you like to hear that today? Suppose you went home from church tonight and you kind of got settled in at home and you thought, well, let's turn on the news. And so you turned on the television set maybe and President Trump, Melania, the first lady standing next to him, and you're thinking, I don't want to listen to the president tonight. I just listened to him last week, the State of the Union. So, well, let's check some scores. Go over to ESPN and you get to ESPN and there's President Trump. You're thinking, ah, Go over to the Food Network. There's President Trump. You're thinking, good night. What happened while we were in church? So you kind of listen in. And the president, he says, ladies and gentlemen of America, I'm sorry to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs tonight, but this afternoon, the first lady and I, we were coming back to the White House and walking across the, the lawn at the Rose Garden, and someone handed us a gospel tract. Went inside the West Wing there and sat down and we read it together. And after we read it, we understood that Jesus Christ wants to be our Savior. And we just knelt down there and asked the Lord to save us. And the First Lady and I would like to announce tonight that we've become Christians. And we want all the world to know that the Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. Say, preacher, I, I, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. It's happened before. It happened right here. And can I remind you, it happened during the regime of the most wicked king, according to God, that's ever lived. It happened twice in the book of Daniel. You remember when... Uh, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they wouldn't bow to the, the, the image that Nebuchadnezzar had made, and so they were cast into a fiery furnace. They heated up seven times hotter than it had ever been before. In fact, the people who threw them in there were burnt to a crisp. But the king, he looks in there, and, and, and he says, didn't, didn't we throw three in there? I see four. And the fourth is like the Son of God. And they bring those men out. And the Bible says their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. And the king said, uh, whoever the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is, is now our God. You remember in Daniel uh, chapter about six or whatever, they made this, this proclamation that you couldn't ask a petition of God or man for 30 days. It's against the law. If, if you asked a petition of God or man for 30 days, you were thrown into a den of lions. So if I was preaching and I said, you know, I'm struggling my voice. Could somebody get me a glass of water? Pastor, could you give me a glass of water or a bottle of water? If, if I were to ask that, I got thrown into a den of lions. You were not allowed to pray. You were not allowed to ask a petition of anybody, God or man, for 30 days. Or you went to a den of lions. 
Well, in verse 10, the Bible says, And Daniel, knowing the writing was signed, went into his house, with his windows being opened toward Jerusalem. He kneeled down on his knees, prayed and gave thanks to his God three times a day, as he did aforetime. It's time to pray. It didn't matter what the law was. He even opened the windows so everybody could hear him. And he prays. Well, they heard him. Of course, they had made up this whole law because they knew he would pray. And so they cast him to this den of lions. And the king, you know, that night, Daniel, he slept well. I mean, he slept like a kitten. The king, he couldn't sleep. He could not sleep. He couldn't find the right number on his posturepedic bed. He just couldn't find it. He tried them all. Nothing worked. Finally, at crack of dawn, Daniel, uh, the king goes down to the den of lions. He says, Daniel, Daniel, are you all right? Daniel's like, yeah. Uh, it's kind of early, King. What's up? Daniel, come out of there. Daniel comes up out of that den of lions. And the king says, the God of Daniel is now the God of this nation. You know what? It's happened before. But that's not the end of the story. Look at verse 40. And Elijah said unto them, I assume that's the people. He said, take the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Wow. When this thing was over, Elijah says, take those guys down to Kishon. And they took those 450 prophets of Baal, and they lined them up along the banks of the Kishon River. And Elijah goes down there. And he goes up to the first man in line. He pulls out a sword. And cuts him in half. Second guy. Cuts him in half. Third guy. Cuts him in half. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'd been standing in that line, I, I would have been nudging my buddy. He's coming this way. Let's stop him. I mean, there were 450 of them. There's only one of him. Why did they stop him? They had just seen his God bring down fire that burnt up rocks. You don't touch that guy. Can I say to you tonight, when we fix the broken and when we fill some barrels by faith and we get our eyes off of our petty little problems and get them back on God, there's nothing that will stop you from serving Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you, I don't know what's coming down the pike in this country. I don't like what I see, but I'm not a prophet. I don't know what God's going to do with America. I don't like what I see. But I'll tell you this, we better get some courage. We better have some courage. We face laws in California right now that would shut us down that fast. We've defeated them twice, but they're coming again in this legislature. I already know I'm going to be on the phone all summer long with faith-based colleges trying to fight the laws that we're going to face if we don't conform. You see, it might not be that we stand at a a burning, fiery stake to die as a martyr. We may just have to stand before some tax-exempt boards. 
but we better get some courage. We've already had colleges in our state, religious colleges. I'm talking about colleges that were founded in Methodism. They've already caved. They've already told the legislation, we'll do whatever you want, just don't take our money. We better get some courage. Elijah follows boldly. Now, I love chapter 18. This chapter is my favorite chapter in the Bible. And I've probably preached more messages out of this chapter than any any chapter in the Bible. I love it. I hate chapter 19. Honestly, I wish chapter 19 was not in the Bible. I wish if God knew what happened, he would have just skipped it. But God's a just God, isn't he? And he shows us both sides of everything. And in chapter 19, just look at a couple verses. But starting in verse 1, look what happens. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. You can take the time later tonight to read the chapter 19. Elijah runs. He receives this one threat. This man who was so faithful and so bold and so filled with faith and courage, now one threat comes and he begins to run. And finally, in in chapter 19, God finds him in a cave and he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah said, God, I've been very jealous for you. I've done all that you told me to do according to your word. And and yet now they've, they've killed all the prophets. There's nobody left but me. I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me. I'm out. I'm done. I quit. I don't want this anymore. Just kill me, God. I don't want some woman to kill me. You kill me. Take me to heaven. I'm out. You know what? God hears those prayers too. And God said, okay. I'll I'll take you out, but I'm not going to kill you, Elijah. I love you. I'll send a whirlwind to come get you. Uh, But Elijah, before I do that, uh, could you do a couple things for me? First, you can read this in chapter 19. First, go down and find uh, Hazael. He's one of my guys. He's not bowed to Baal. He loves me. He's faithful to me. Find him because I need you to anoint him to be the next king over Israel. When you get that done, find Jehu. You'll have to travel fast. He drives furiously. But find Jehu. He's one of my men. He hasn't bowed to Baal. He's faithful to me. Find him and anoint him king over Judah or over Syria. And then he said, you get that done, find Elisha. He's got a name kind of like yours, Elijah. He'll probably be plowing. Uh, find him and, and put your mantle on him. He's going to be the prophet in your room, and he's going to do twice as many miracles as you ever thought about doing. And by the way, Elijah, if any of those guys turn you down, I got 7,000 that have not bowed their knee to Baal. Now, isn't this amazing? Elijah thinks he's the only one left. How come he didn't know about these others? I mean, God said, I got, I got Jehu, I got Hazael, I got Elisha, I got 7,000 others, but Elijah hasn't seen any of those people. 
He says, I'm the only one left. You know why? Because when you get your eyes on yourself, you can be standing right in the middle of a miracle and not even see it. And that's where we're at in America. Can I tell you, God is doing some amazing things in this world. You understand that 25,000 people a day are being saved in China? In the house churches? They say by 2020, there'll be more Christians in China than any other country in the world. I was preaching one night in one of those underground churches. A man came up to me after. He said, Mr. Getch, my, my life has changed since my wife got saved. My home is different since my two boys got saved. He said, I'm not a Christian. I want to be. But I have to be careful. If I get saved, I'll, I'll lose my job. I probably lose my life. I found out he was the third highest ranking official in the government in that province at that time. That's kind of scary. He's in the service. All he has to do is go to work tomorrow and tell him about you and you're dead. The last night of the meeting, he said, John, I want to I take you to the airport in the morning. I said, Mr. Wang, don't. No, I, I, I've, got a, I, I've got a car coming, a taxi. Nobody has cars over there. The missionary didn't have cars. We rode bicycles everywhere. And I said, no, 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 you don't have to do that. I, I, my flight's really early. I've got to be to the airport by 3 a.m. He said, no, no, I have a car. It's a government car. He said, I'll have, to, I'll have to do some explaining, but I want to take you. The next morning, he picked me up, took me to the airport. We were taking the, my, my bags out of the back of his car. and He said, would you pray for me? We stood there at the airport in Chengdu, and I prayed for Mr. Wang. Almost one year to the day later, I was awakened about midnight as I was sleeping in a hotel in Concord, California, getting ready to preach the next morning. My phone kind of vibrated, and I opened my eyes. I looked at it, and there was a text there. It was from China. And there was a picture of Mr. Wang giving his testimony in church Sunday morning. There were several hours ahead of us, already Monday there. He's giving his testimony. I scroll down to the next picture, and here's Mr. Wang getting baptized in a little inflatable baby pool. Good thing Chinese people are little. Had them all the way into the water. God's doing amazing things. But we can't see it. Because in America, all we think about is ourselves. We had a man in our pulpit recently for... Pastors, the First Baptist Church of Damascus, Syria. That's where you can get your head cut off for having a Christian name. You just go in Syria and say, my name is John. Watch out. That's a Christian name. You can't have a Christian name. They'll cut your head off. He stood in our pulpit and said, we are having Muslims saved by the dozens. Every day they come to our church want to know how to get to heaven. Friends, God's doing some amazing things in this world. But here in America, we're still trying to figure out how to fix the broken. We, 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 we can't figure out how to fill the barrels of faith. 
We, we, we refuse to focus beyond our own petty issues. And when it comes to courage, we have none. Oh, listen, God wants to do some great things today, and he can. We've got to fix the broken. Something broken in our life tonight? We have a chance to fix it. I can't fix it. Pastor can't fix it, but God can. We've got to exercise faith. I don't know what's on your heart. I don't know what you're praying about. But have faith in God. Lord, increase my faith. And then we need to focus beyond, and we need to follow boldly. It's our turn. We're up to bat. This is our day, our time. We can have revival.